I am now recording as well and I've got my headphones in so I just hope the internet holds up. Let's do our clap and then we'll start. So I'll count three, two, one. Welcome to First Aid Lit. We're a podcast. Oh my god every time. Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> podcast just say every sentence yeah. individually you could just edit it together <laughs> welcome to first aid lit we are a podcast that explores and promotes the life-saving power of literature we discuss the books you should carry in your literary first aid kit for any situation i'm angela whipperman and i'm nicola sheppy and we're still in lockdown still in lockdown but with signs of escaping lockdown yeah there's hope um, before we begin, I really want to know, I think you should explain to the listeners as well, your the mystery that's going on around your uh, neighbour WhatsApp group. I want to know what's going on there. Yeah, so last week we were talking about murder mysteries and the books that we would use to prepare ourselves for a murder mystery. I talked a little bit about the mystery, not a murder mystery, thank God, but a mystery that has been occurring on my street. So as many people... Um, like many people, our street has a WhatsApp group thanks to COVID lockdown. So we've got a group where people kind of share information and ask to borrow lawnmowers and things. And on our WhatsApp group for the street, a mystery has been unraveling. And this is the mystery of the appearing bread. Slices of white bread appearing sometimes in the morning, sometimes in the evening with no explanation, just sort of scattered about the pavement. And actually, as an update, Nick, mm. yesterday, or maybe even today, actually, it might have been this morning, someone on the group posted a picture of eggs. Not cracked eggs on the pavement. Eggs? Yeah. So not that they'd been dropped. You're kidding. But some hard-boiled eggs, apparently, carefully placed in some planters on our street. What? So the plot thickens. This is like the ultimate food-wasting practical It joke. is. I mean, it's... There's definitely something strange going on. I like the way. Um, did you do you call it the mystery of the bread? Do you have you got like a you need like a kind of detective novel name? We do for need it. a detective novel name. I mean, at the moment, people are mainly just posting terrible puns about the bread. <gasps> but yeah, I mean, I I don't know. Someone has suggested getting a twenty four hour security camera positioned above the site where the bread is usually dropped. But yeah, <laughs> I mean, I quite like the mystery. And I don't think it's doing anyone too much harm. I'm sure the foxes are enjoying it. What a weird, just mystery to have. Is, I mean, it's not the most exciting one, but considering we can't go anywhere or do anything, it'll have to do for now. I think it depends on your definition of exciting. I personally would very much enjoy that. Although, I, as I say, it is, it is just such a waste of food. It breaks my heart. But then um, yeah. white bread is terrible, so never mind. Have you been experiencing anything exciting this week? book related or otherwise bread related or otherwise oh bread related i i think i finally threw out my sourdough starter it had not been oh, no. touched in a while <laughs> i did have a i gave it a, a couple of lobes ago quite early on in lockdown and they went okay i just think you know sourdough is such a lot of effort for ultimately just a loaf of bread you know it's a commitment it's isn't a real it? i mean the making process as well it takes a long time takes a couple of days you really got to spend hours kind of pouring your love and your soul and your all kinds of things into this bread and then at the end of it you get a a loaf of bread and is a loaf of bread worth it maybe that's what's happening in your scenario someone's discarding their beautifully made bread because uh, they're just really uh, against it for some reason maybe they've been driven to the edge of the bread making kind of psychosis i think we are all going a bit mad in lockdown 
What have you been reading? I'm excited to talk about Girl, Woman, Other, which I finished last week. So for those of you who've not read Girl, Woman, Other, it's by Bernadine Evaristo. And it sort of tells snapshots of lots of different characters' lives who are all interrelated, sometimes in very... uh, very close ways some are kind of more distant ways and as the name suggests they are all um, women and yeah I would say that some of the stories I found probably more engaging than others but I discussed the book with my book group and there was a lot to kind of pull apart which I think is the sign of a good book Um, everyone had lots of different opinions everyone had different sort of favorite storylines and I think it, it's just really interesting to read a book that represents lives that you don't necessarily always see or read about, certainly not that often in English language literature. So all in all, a deserving winner of the Booker Prize, I think. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm intrigued to hear about your book club opinion of it. Did you think most people enjoyed it? Most people, I think, did enjoy it. There are a couple of dissenters. One who, this friend is a lawyer. So there is a law firm mentioned in the book that kind of the industry is not portrayed particularly well um, and portrayed as being a bit sexist and a bit racist and I think this particular book club member took exception to that (laughs) which you know is fair because I'm I don't know what Bernadine Evaristo's background is but I'm not sure she's worked in a multinational law firm so she might not have had personal experience of it but I can't imagine that environments like that aren't racist to a degree and sexist to a degree i think some other i don't know about law firms but i think some banks have been criticized more recently for creating slightly more unpleasant Mm. environments for women and people of color so i imagine it she what she was going for in that kind of city of london exactly big corporate feel interesting i think even though the characters are almost all of the characters have um black heritage so maybe afro-caribbean or african heritage you know, it's not as if you have to have that lived experience to find truths in the book that feel relatable or that feel kind of universal. You know, there are some things that feel quite specific to that lived experience and some things that feel universal. And that makes for, again, really good discussion and kind of a really something really good to sort of provoke your own thoughts and feelings. I can't imagine having to share the booker. I know it's still a massive achievement, but if I won it and someone else won it at the same time, you'd be like, ah, oh, come on so close <laughs> especially considering the circumstances which is Bernadine Evaristo sure, sure. is the first black woman to win I uh, yeah I would think so yeah so she became the first woman of colour and the first black author to win the Booker Prize that's obviously an incredible achievement as well as a kind of comment on who we give prizes to in the literary world to kind of have that happen but then also share that experience with Margaret Atwood who I think is a very deserving author but maybe in this case probably got an award more for her history of writing rather than that particular Mm. book who knows what the decision making process was I haven't read the testament so I couldn't possibly comment but I've also read Girl Woman Other and I'd agree I think it's a brilliant book and I think it would deserve its own win so we're with you, Bernadine. Did you have a favourite character? Uh, oh, I honestly, no. I think I, I like kind of I connected with them all. It's also been a little while since I've read it, so I can't remember all the specific characters in this. Um, I know she does a really good job of kind of making them all feel very distinct in terms of their life situations mm. and their relationships and their relationships with themselves. But I, I couldn't tell you now which one I definitely clicked with over another. That's what she does so skillfully as well, is she she makes sure that not a single character is black and white. And there are elements of every character that you think are 
brilliant and you encourage and then they have all have elements that you think are maybe not so nice or just a bit sad or you know you, you can feel kind of yeah you feel lots of different things for each character I think have you read anything else this week that you'd recommend? Well, I haven't actually started reading it yet because it just arrived today, but I will talk about a book I'm really excited to read. It is Forgotten Women, The Leaders by Zing Seng. So Zing Seng, who's this awesome journalist and writer, she is an executive editor for Vice. She also hosts the Women's Prize for Fiction podcast because I think she's really cool. And she wrote this series of books called Forgotten Women. So I think there's one on the writers, there's one on the artists, and this one's particularly on the leaders. So basically she's taking us through stories about women in history who've changed the course of the future and and really because history and society is very sexist um, they might not be remembered for it Mm. hence forgotten women so part of the reason I'm reading it is because in my own novel that I'm writing currently I'm hoping it'll be a bit of an inspiration because um, as you know very well Angela the protagonist of my novel is a female leader of of a country so I'm hoping to kind of get this find some characters that will really help to kind of craft her into a very fully realised uh, person. Mm. And also as well, I know I read an interview with um, Zing Seng in Fold magazine and she says that a lot of the female leaders she uh, she profiled in the book were struggling against fascism, imperialism, themes, uh, kind of these dictatorships, which also fits with my own book. So I'm really excited to get stuck in, but I couldn't tell you anything about it yet. So I'd have to, you'd have to ask me next week and see how it's going. That sounds fascinating so are these are they living leaders dead leaders or both i imagine probably both (laughs) i think going by the theme forgotten women i think it's likely to be women that have sort of disappeared into history Ah, so they're likely to be dead and also we kind of you know we talked a lot about how and imagine her whole series does this i know we talk a lot in our podcast about the roles of women in history and how Mm. they often women are very confined to certain roles they didn't have a lot of freedom and that's why they weren't written about that's why they weren't writing whereas actually I think books like this are probably trying to encourage the opposite they're saying actually women women are actually a very big part of some very big movements and some very big moments in history that they are just simply written out of the history books we don't get to learn too much about who they are so I'm very excited to um, give it a go and learn some new things and learn about some new amazing women. I don't I don't often gravitate towards non-fiction, which I'm trying to fix a bit because I listen to a lot of podcasts and that tends to be where I get my non-fiction fix and my more history and politics and that sort of thing. So yeah, I think I need to sort of beef up my non-fiction reading. I just feel like there's not enough time in a day to read all the books I want to read. This is the problem. Yeah, I think, and I think it becomes difficult because sometimes you pick up a book Mm. and then you kind of learn very quickly that it's not really telling you what you want to know about a certain period of time or a certain thing. And And I, whereas I think podcasts are so much more digestible, I guess. I don't really, I mean, dare I say it, I don't really listen to that many podcasts. Um, and so I do get a lot of my information from books. Traitor. I know. I think the the one thing I will say about books and non-fiction books, because I'm like you, for a long time, I just didn't really read any non-fiction. And only recently I've started to try and, if I want to learn about something, I'll try and find a book on it. And it's mainly mm-hmm. because I seem to remember the information a lot better when I've read it. And I don't know why that is. So mm. versus maybe, you know, watching a TV show or a documentary or listening to it on the radio or something so I don't know maybe it's more the physical act of having to sit down and read it is a bit more of an effort so my brain works extra hard who knows but yeah I'll let you know uh if it's good I remember a teacher telling me at school so I have no idea if it's fact-based or not but basically everyone has a preferred 
way of absorbing information and that for some people the most effective way of learning is to listen some people it's to read for some people it's to see visual cues some people it's a mix so it may well be that you just yeah you're very much inclined towards reading rather than listening well i'm i'm glad to discover that later in life and not during my university which one it would yeah. be the most useful <laughs> so hooray for me <laughs> Should we crack on to our theme for today? Yes. What are we talking about today? For anyone who hasn't listened, the concept of the the podcast is that you've been put into a specific scenario or a situation and you've been allowed to put together a literary first aid kit to help you cope. So these books might help you cope in that they're instructional, maybe they're inspirational, or they just help you to take your mind off things, which is probably really important in this time you can read them before or during your scenario they could be fiction non-fiction anything you like so really the idea is you know what literature do we find useful to get through the good and the bad in life and this week's theme is uh, what to read when you're lonely or feeling lonely which i think we can all identify a moment where we felt lonely whether you're surrounded by people and whether you're in the happiest marriage or you know living your best life versus you know your lower points of life Mm. it's definitely a very relatable feeling and thankfully yeah there are so many books out there that really go into it definitely a universal feeling and one that doesn't discriminate of course you know there are certain situations that can probably make you more prone to loneliness but i think it's something that everyone can feel as i'm sure our books Mm. will show and i think this is one where the power of books is so clear because i mean i'm sure we'll end up discussing but certainly one of the things that I've always felt is that I wouldn't quite go as far as sort of one of those twee quotes where it says you're never alone if you've got a good book <laughs> but I do think that books are are ways of escaping when you just want to not think about necessarily the, the real world or you want a bit of yeah you want that escapism and you want a bit of respite from from life being a little bit hard so I think this is a ripe topic for discussion having said that as always I actually found it really hard to think about books I'd read that kind of encapsulated the idea or or sort of left me with some optimism yeah I don't know some learning yeah I don't know, I know learning about learning I don't know maybe we can just talk about what I came up with and then we'll, we'll figure out actually what I think about them which is what we tend to do well um why don't you go into your first one okay so the first one is not a book about loneliness particularly but it is a book that has got me through some lonely times and it's a trilogy and it is the lord of the rings one two and three Ooh. <laughs> um, so i'm thrilled so i'm sure lots of people are familiar with the story of the lord of the rings but to summarize very quickly the lord of the rings no, tell, tell us it in detail please <laughs> yes let the rest of the podcast will just be lord of the rings <laughs> Um, a plot summary um but yeah so this is yeah it's a series a trilogy of books written by J.R.R. Tolkien it's a fantasy series and it is the story it's probably the fantasy fantasy series series, really and it follows the journey of a group a fellowship who are brought together to destroy the one ring which is a magical ring which kind of can turn its wearers towards evil doings and it's being hunted by this evil entity called Sauron and there's this young hobbit which is a kind of human-like creature person he's been sent on this journey to destroy the ring and he's supported in this quest by this fellowship of eight others who different races in this world by races we don't mean sort of black and white and Asian people we're talking kind of elves yes because they're all white they're all white yeah (laughs) but these are some elves and dwarves and hobbits and men and they all come together to destroy the ring for the greater good 
so that's the very rough plot summary but it's a series of three very chonky books and many of you will be familiar as well with the films which are excellent um and that is not an opinion that is a fact <laughs> so i included this one for the very simple reason that it's it's a book that takes me away completely there's a reason why this is the fantasy book it's just it's just wonderful and in I, sometimes I watch the film, sometimes I reread a book, but going to that world that Tolkien created, you can just forget everything and be immersed in this fantastical place where dark things happen. There are a lot of dark things that happen, but it feels very far removed. And I think you know, when I was a kid, fantasy books were absolutely my escape. I loved the Narnia books, Ooh. which I know are a bit problematic in places. I mean, Lord of the Rings is problematic in places as well, but Narnia, I think particularly so. But I did love Narnia. I loved Lord of the Rings. I loved Philip Pullman. The um, um, But yeah, I think Lord of the Rings is probably the ultimate one. And also, it relates to this theme of loneliness as well, because the whole kind of essence of the book is friendship and fellowship and people coming together to, despite their differences to go on this quest and, and destroy evil that is a great choice yeah i think you're you're a lord of the rings fan as well right i am although i confess so i've read the first book and about half of the second half of the two towels i nearly said two towels then which would be a very different book yeah i i actually prefer the films i think the film's do some of the editing that the book needs which I don't think that's very controversial to say that the books do need a bit of an edit but I mean I do get also why you know the books are brilliant and obviously the books creep you know the films came from the books so the books do get all the credit but uh, I totally agree with what you're saying about fantasy and it being that genre of where you can just really escape and I think something like Lord of the Rings where it's just so different to our world mm. and you really and he really sort of trusts you to just get stuck into this world and and not need to be kind of overly explained what everything is and you you just like fall into this yeah. fully crafted world and go on this epic epic journey where the stakes could not be higher yeah it does what good books should do and that is a really i think that would be very good to read at times when you're feeling a little bit dissatisfied with real life. Tolkien is famous for the amount of detail he put into his world building. I went to see the Tolkien exhibition in Oxford um, oh, cool. a couple of years ago now. I can't remember exactly when it was on. It was really good and they had lots of his drawings and his notes and his original artwork. I mean, it is. It's vast. He create he created a whole he created a whole language. He created a whole world, <laughs> and that I mean that's why the stories are so immersive. Going back to J.K. Rowling, who the Potter world I think is similar in that it's so thought out and it's so clear in the author's head um, that you don't need to be sort of handheld through it because it's it, it feels real as soon as you're there. It all feels real. I think. And it gives adaptations a lot of freedom to explore different avenues of the same world and mm. still build a very rich story. I mean, I guess Harry Potter's almost like this underworld alongside our real world, mm. whereas Lord of the Rings just fully transplants you to a completely mythical place. Similar to Game of Thrones again, I know obviously George R. R. Martin drew a lot of inspiration from Lord of the Rings. And again, Game of Thrones, sorry to keep detracting, but I've only read... I think I read a lot of the first book and then I decided that I preferred watching the TV show. But you can really see in his style of writing quite how much he took from The Lord of the Rings um, and the J.R.R. Tolkien's 
all of his books in his world. Um, so yeah, it's, it's such a, a ripe genre for doing lots yeah. of fun stuff. Although, just to contradict you slightly with my Lord of the Rings knowledge, <gasps> it's so, it is imaginary, but it's meant to be set in this world's past. So it's meant to be a kind of mythology for England. Oh, really? So he, he, Tolkien is obviously very much knows that he invented this world. It's not meant to be be a real past, but it's sort of an invented mythology for the world we live in today. So yeah, it's meant to be kind of 6,000 years or so but before his present day. Oh, <laughs> that is new information to me. I did see something once which was like a map of Middle-earth laid over a real-life map, and it was like Hobbiton was Oxford, oh. Rivendell is in mm. Paris... Mordor was kind of like the far reaches of Russia. So yeah. it gives you an idea of how far they walked. Because I was going to say, I'm pretty sure that Hobbiton is based on East Anglia. But I could be wrong. Oh, God, I know a lot of geeky knowledge about Lord of the Rings. I don't think I was that much of a fan. But <laughs> I clearly am. <laughs> You're such a nerd. Um, but yeah, I think it, I could have had a number of different books in this slot. But I went for Lord of the Rings because I think it's it's one that I read when I was a teenager and I was going through... I was... I, I was I was a lonely teenager and I was struggled to make friends at school and I lived in the middle of nowhere in the countryside so there wasn't really there were long periods of time where I didn't really have anyone to play with or, or go around and see and books like Lord of the Rings were where I went to have adventures and have these experiences that these characters do and if you can find something like that I think that's wonderful and as well I think in terms of re- going back and rereading things like Lord of the Rings or like Harry Potter or like the uh, Philip Pullman trilogy as well. I think we all probably have these nostalgic books that we can go to for comfort. And again, if we're having those moments where we're feeling Mm. down and maybe, maybe it's not necessarily loneliness, but in periods of loneliness or periods of sadness, we have these books that we can return to and we feel sort of a bit at home. We feel like we're among friends because we know the characters so well. And I think that's a really powerful trait in literature that that shouldn't be underestimated. Mm, that's lovely. I fully agree. So did you go through a similar vein with your book choices? Or have you got something different? I, I looked more about um, books that I guess loneliness is, mm. is quite a significant theme in the books. Although actually my first one is debatable. So the first book I went for was one I read very recently. It's The Old Man and the Sea mm. by Ernest Hemingway. It's a tiny, tiny book, I guess, a a novella. It's only about 100 pages. It is probably Hemingway's most famous work. Um, It certainly was what propelled him to stardom. It was published in 1952. He was living in Cuba. The book was awarded the Pulitzer Prize. And I think it was, he also won the Nobel Prize not long after. And this book was kind of attributed to it. So the book follows the story of an old fisherman named Santiago. Uh, It's set in Cuba, but Santiago catches an enormous marlin fish. So I think it's a bit like a swordfish going by pictures. And the book is, is about him in the sea with this fish. He's kind of dragged out to sea with it while he waits for the opportunity to read it in. I have, This is actually the first Hemingway I've ever read, but I assume the style is quite a signature for him. I know he's kind of celebrated as being one of the, one of the best writers who's ever lived. Um, and the writing is very simple, very visceral. It's definitely one of those books that's really immersive and really transports you to where mm. he is. And why is it in my first aid kit? Well, I don't think it's really about loneliness as a book. Obviously, the situation is 
an old man on his own on the sea so you could argue that it would be very lonely and it would be very easy for him to have gone down that route of writing about Mm. that experience but there's something really kind of inexplicably comforting about the situation and I think it's the way that the old man uh, Santiago he never really sees his situation as particularly dire or particularly lonely you don't really get the sense he ever feels that his life is threatened even though the idea of it absolutely terrifies me the idea of a fish pulling you out to sea one thing he does is he um he sort of isolates his body parts and talks to them as if they were friends Mm. so he if he cuts his hand he'll start talking to his hand or say oh don't worry right hand you know I'll, i'll left hand will do the job which you could argue is maybe him going a little bit crazy but then he does also address that as well he says you know anyone else would think i'm going crazy right now but i'm on my own so never mind um, which is nice. He speaks to the fish, the fish he's pulling, and also just the other fish around. He speaks to speaks to the birds. He speaks to the sharks. He speaks to everything. He 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 very much sees himself as being a part of a very rich world, even though he's by himself. And in theory, it is a very lonely and frightening situation to be in. But his own calmness is quite reassuring and kind of looking I think what I really like about it is it or what I really like about Santiago's perspective is that he really prizes the simplicity in what's around him and this this idea that even if you have no one really even if he, he does have another character who is a young boy or a young man who really seems to be the only one who really cares for this old man and having that one person who cares about you can mm. be enough and that's enough for Santiago and his life um so it's a very very sweet story about looking for the little good moments even though I'm sure you could you could imagine it's about a lot of things because it's such a simple powerful story that you can see as a metaphor for a lot of different things but but I was just very charmed by the idea of just Mm. not feeling that lonely or frightened in quite a lonely and frightening scenario and how that would be quite inspirational so that's my number one I have never read it I have heard of it the way you've described it makes me want to go and read it straight away it sounds like a lovely a bit like a kind of fireside chat sort of it is feeling is what you're giving me and it's not i mean i won't spoil it but it doesn't sort of end how you think it would end or certainly it didn't end how i thought it would end it you you could almost you know argue that the whole book i mean i don't know if it's based on a real experience he had Uh, i know he was really into his deep sea fishing but it, it almost feels like a like a very small moment in life kind of condensed mm. into quite a powerful story. Uh, I'm not sure I'm doing a very good job of explaining it, but, but it is a really lovely book and I found it very, very beautifully written and very nice to read. And that's, again, similar to you. That's kind of what you want in moments when you're not feeling too great about yeah. everything. I think it highlights that difference between loneliness and being alone, yes. which is that you can be alone and not be lonely. And you can be among lots of people and feel very lonely. And it sort of depends on the situation and the context. I certainly think in my own life, the times I felt loneliest have been when I've actually been surrounded by people. I remember moving to London for the first time. I mean, not that I was that far away. I was in Essex, which is a bordering county. (laughs) But... I didn't know anyone in London at all. I moved into a flat with strangers. I had, I just got this new job. And yeah, I remember I sort of was in this flat and I just thought, well, what do I do now? I don't know anyone here. I don't have any friends. And I sort of sit in my room on a Friday night and other people would be like on Facebook because people still used Facebook, sort of posting pictures of being out and stuff. And I just thought, 
oh, I'm just sat here on my own in my room watching 4OD. <laughs> and the happy outcome is that I made some really brilliant friends in my new job and it all turned out okay. But it is those moments where you can be in a massive city or you can be in your school or you can be at your university and surrounded by people. And that actually is the loneliest moment because you feel that everyone else around you has got these connections and you don't have them. Mm. So this man dragged out into the middle of nowhere can feel quite, maybe quite content or at least not alone, mm. even though he is he is completely alone and someone else might be in among a completely bustling, heaving environment and feel the complete opposite. Yeah, I fully agree. What, what's, what about you? What's your second choice? Um, my second choice Mm. so I sort of went down the kind of looking for loneliness elements of the book and maybe looking at that in a slightly different way I'm rambling a lot so I'll try and get to the point which is to say that I went back through my Kindle library to be like well what have I read and what do I remember about these books and what did they mean to me a very useful exercise (laughs) that is a plus point of having Kindle or any kind of ebook reader which is that you have a complete history of what you've what you've read certainly anything you've ordered online anyway Um, and I was reminded of a book that I read I guess it must be six or seven years ago now and had not thought about for a long time so it was a good exercise so this book is called Red Dust by Ma Dien and it is a part fiction part autobiography part travelogue by a Chinese writer Ma Dien and he now lives in exile but the book itself is actually set in the early 80s and is a kind of fictionalized account of his real solo journey that he took from his home in Beijing to Tibet. It's set in 1983, but it was published in 2001. As I mentioned, Ma is now exiled, which might suggest that the books that he's written are not particularly pro-CCP or the Communist Party of China. So I read this book when I was in China. So I taught conversational English in a university in China for a few months and I traveled a little bit afterwards and I read this book whilst I was traveling. And I wasn't lonely at that time. I was, you know, I was actually enjoying experiencing a new a new country and, you know, all the things you do when you travel, new food, new people, new languages, etc. Um, so I wasn't feeling particularly lonely. And this book isn't about loneliness, but it is about a man traveling his own country seeing it sort of for the first time and I think there are interesting elements of loneliness that come through the story so he seeing what his country looks like from a position where he doesn't support the party that's in charge of it and the people that are in charge of it so at the beginning of the book as is true in Mars life he is being searched for by the police because he has kind of offended offended the party with his writing and his artwork and that prompts his decision to go on this kind of um tour of of China up towards Tibet in a time where China was kind of trying to emerge from the chaos of the cultural revolution but still had a huge amount of problems and obviously it still does today that he kind of encounters people that are bribing each other he encounters severe poverty I suppose I included it because I thought it felt like there was a loneliness in him and that he, it might be easy to feel quite lonely if you have political opinions that are not allowed in your own country and that you're maybe kind of looking at your own country but it's not the place you thought it was or it's not the place you want it to be and while I'm not going to compare what the UK is going through to China you know a dictatorship I think you know when I look at the discourse that we have in this country over Brexit and over you know pulling down statues and all this sort of thing 
I think it can feel really alienating to have opinions that, that maybe are not shared by a huge swathe of a population. So I don't know if any of that made sense. It got a bit rambly. Mm. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. I think, it, I mean, you can become very disenchanted with your country. And I've seen that in a few different countries, again, on very different scales. But depending on your stance and how you feel about who's in charge and the the governance of the of the whole country you can be it can be a very lonely experience I could I can totally imagine yeah and in as I said the book isn't about loneliness but the way it's written there are some parts that are quite sort of dreamlike almost and you do get this atmosphere of he's sort of floating through parts of the country and feeling quite separate to it and it feels like a a quite kind of existential experience where he's certainly questioning what where the country is going and what that means and what his response is going to be to that but also his own prejudices and his own beliefs i suppose in some ways it it highlights that loneliness it's not pleasant but perhaps it can sometimes can be a way of learning about yourself that when you have those moments of loneliness where all you have are yourself and your thoughts that can be a revelatory thing Ooh. as well as a sad thing yeah no i like it he's written quite prolifically and as i say he he lives in exile but at, you know, at the end of the book in in red dust he's in tibet and he says actually he wants he just wants to go home he wants to go back to beijing and and back to his life in beijing and he misses it and knowing that he is someone who lives away from his country and can't return sort of makes that even more poignant that this is coming from someone who loves his place of birth enough that he's trying to change it through his work but can't return mm. i think is quite sad mm. i've not really lived abroad i wonder how common a feeling that is and i, I feel like from books again from books i've read i feel like it must be that feeling of that I can imagine it feeling very lonely to be in a completely new culture in a completely mm. new environment if you don't know anyone there. Well, actually, that I was going to say my I think I know you spoke about moving to London. I think the moment when I felt most lonely in life was when I moved to Penang. And I didn't spend that long there either. But the very first moment I got there, and I do have lots of friends and family in Malaysia, um, but none of them were in Penang, which is an island on uh, in Malaysia for those who uh, might not know it. And the first day or so I was there, I went to stay in a hostel and I felt this overwhelming loneliness and this overwhelming feeling of, oh my gosh, am mm-hmm. I doing the right thing? I wasn't due to start my job for a few more days so I'd given myself a little bit of time to get used to the jet lag and explore but I really went through this real crisis of loneliness and it is that feeling of yeah being somewhere new not knowing anyone being an immigrant in that scenario but I did once I started my job I did kind of find my tribe and found my you know found my setting Mm. and place to live and 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 generally had quite a, a really lovely experience but I always look back at that moment and, and I had a friend who moved to Australia and she said a similar sort of thing the first week when she got there she just cried every day because she was so overwhelmed with being there um, I think yeah, it's a massive thing to embark on moving across the world or moving to any new country mm. or any new city a whole other different kind of loneliness when you move and you know that you can't return back to the country uh, yeah. where you consider home and it kind of it reminded me a little bit of I read Salman Rushdie's autobiography um after he after the whole the hoo-ha as you put it the twitter hoo-ha well this is yeah. a, a very real life hoo-ha with the satanic verses where he got a fatwa put on him I know India 
briefly banned him from returning and India is his home country and of course Midnight's Children is his love letter to India and he spoke about that in his autobiography as being this you know horrendous feeling of this country that you love and that you know you've written a whole novel about which you know is considered one of the best novels ever written and you can't go back mm. to it and I and he, he spoke about the time when he did manage to get back to it when I think there were some changes in the rules about where he could travel that I remember the moment he said when he got in and he got to the airport and he could have fallen onto the ground and kissed it he was so happy to be home so it is you know it's super powerful and super lonely it's a whole other different kind of feeling and that fortunately I don't have to identify with and hopefully never will it's hard it's hard to imagine when you when you haven't had that experience and where you probably won't I mean who knows what's going to happen in the future but you know hopefully Mm, we're not ever going to be in that position but that's what makes me so angry about people who get so cross about immigrants and all these refugees as if I mean I know some people are economic Mm. migrants and you know come to work which is not a problem in itself but you know getting cross with people who have often been fought they don't want to leave they're forced to leave by war or drought or famine or whatever and when you read accounts of people who have been forced to leave a country and may never return so often people don't want to is yeah no there's a fantastic book called violent borders i can't remember who it's by and i'm staring at my bookshelf trying to work out where it is but um do you know what i'm gonna google it yeah do google about it Uh, Reese Jones I'd really recommend it because it talks a lot about yeah borders of countries obviously and they've got a history and current situation with a lot of borders and one thing that he puts out there which is I think is quite a well-researched idea is that if borders didn't exist not many people would move he's like people are not naturally inclined to to move unless they absolutely have to and quite often i mean as is in the title the very existence of the borders is fueling the violence and making it a problem and i just thought that's such a revolutionary idea this idea that imagine if tomorrow Mm. every world leader joined together and said you know what no more borders every there's, there's no separation anymore it is a very huge thing to to move particularly to move permanently from your home and where you grew up and you don't do it lightly and you don't do it because you want a free handout from a you know nhs government or this kind of rubbish that people try and assume immigrants are here for you do it when you really want you really think you need to create a better life and this is the only place you can do it so i mean my mum's an immigrant i have massive love for immigrants um Mm. and and we could get into a whole other brexit debate on that maybe we should we should move on to the next books i think we're getting a bit um (laughs) It's, it's quite a heavy topic i mean this whole podcast is quite a heavy topic though isn't it going deep into <laughs> the well of loneliness i don't think that's necessarily a bad thing but i did i did take it to quite a sort of depressing place um so your, what's your second book oh yes my second book so very very different to the one we were just speaking about a much smaller scale but a really a really sweet book and again this is one that i think loneliness is probably the main theme of the book and it is um eleanor oliphant is completely fine by gail honeyman I I don't know if you've read it it was her debut novel it won the costa debut novel award in 2017 and it follows a 29 year old woman she's called eleanor oliphant as you might already have been able to work out and she's a very socially strange 
person. She's very, she doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have any family beyond her mother in jail or in some sort of institution that's unspecified who um, she speaks to on the phone once a week. She's also an alcoholic, but she thinks of herself as fine. Again, you might mention it from the title. And she thinks of other people being the odd ones and she's the, the normal one. Mm. And the book kind of follows as she becomes obsessed with a man that she sees um, at a gig, a musician. She sort of begins this plan in her head to seduce him and turn him into this perfect boyfriend and husband. She has this idea that he's the love of her life. And it's very this kind of funny, bittersweet, tragic sort of, it makes you physically cringe with secondhand embarrassment. But the fantasies she's having and the, and I think the projecting is, I found it very realistic and relatable. Obviously I'm not gonna say I'm as extreme as this character, but I think we all have these moments where you sort of imagine this better life on the other side and you kind of tie that to particular people. And I won't say any more for spoilers, but um, in terms of why it's in my first aid kit, I think it's quite nice because it's kind of about how small acts of kindness and, and these small friendships that you can form that can blossom over time can ultimately be life-changing. And it probably has as happy an ending as you would want for the character. But it's a good reminder to look at, I think, forming these small connections at times when you're feeling lonely, even if it's just a man on the street or a cat or these, look for these moments of kindness that you can you can seize on in everyday life. And also don't romanticize other people's lives, um, which I know you touched on briefly when you were talking about your experience in London, where you looked at Facebook and you're having that thing of everybody's having a great time. And I know that in this book, Eleanor uses social media, I think Twitter primarily, to build a picture of who she thinks that the, the man is, that she, the kind of object of her affections. And, you know, social media is the thief of joy. And actually, downright untrue most of the time and we're all putting out our, our perfect lives but actually all of us are feeling different you know could be feeling different forms of loneliness so I think first rule of yeah being when you're feeling lonely is to get off social media and get away even though it can feel like a place of community it can be quite damaging to compare your life to other people's um but that that's why I think it's on my list tell me <laughs> tell me your thoughts and feelings so I think this might just be a case of sometimes a book just isn't for you I hear you <laughs> This book is really well reviewed. I remember looking at Goodreads and it was like got a gazillion stars. So I know I know it's a really loved book. I think it just didn't hit my button. Maybe... I, I sort of know what you mean, but I think part of the problem for me, I wouldn't say it's one of my favourite books in any way, but it, but it almost because the character is so... I mean, you, you do learn that she's had this horrible experience that that happened and you kind of learn about that it's it's hinted at, at the start of the book and you learn about it throughout but because the character's so alien and, and at first just a bit tragic when you when you're reading her i wonder if it's almost off-putting in that way that then you just you, you don't really connect with her in the way that you could she's not a particularly sympathetic character i don't think and i know that's part of it it's meant to be we're meant to see her as quite strange and then i I think by the end of the book you're meant to feel kind of empathetic there's like a scene where she goes and buys a computer and she doesn't know what a laptop is and i didn't understand that how you wouldn't know what a laptop was mm. if you were <laughs> 29 and living in a modern day i know there were just a few things like that which kind of tested my suspension of disbelief yeah, a little bit but i do know that a lot of people relate to the book and have found it a really important read so i'm not I think it's it's a personal preference. It's definitely one of those reads though that you can you can read it very quickly. Yes. Very easy to read. I found it a very good travel companion on my commute. 
you can dip in and out quite easily and you can get through it quite quickly so I think that's probably a lot of people find it very interesting for that sort of yeah. way there was a bit of a phase I think where a lot of these books were coming out um, and they always had women's names in the title yeah uh, and I kind of it kind of lumped it fell into that category for me not that I should be categorizing books in such a way it fell into I think the way they're marketed is quite similar the front covers are always quite similar and then I only really re- I only read it properly a couple of years later and and I did think oh okay this is actually a, a better than I was expecting because it is such a simple read. What I do think is good about it is that it is a book that explores loneliness in young people which I don't think gets talked about that much. I mean loneliness in general doesn't get discussed particularly widely. I think it's still seen as a bit of a not a taboo but that people don't want to admit to being lonely because that's almost feels a bit like admitting Mm. to having no friends or not being popular and I think when people do think of loneliness they often think of sort of old people which is a problem I mean I do think elderly people do tend to experience a lot of loneliness particularly elderly men um I read an an article about how in heterosexual couples often it's the woman that's driving the social life and if a woman dies before Mm. her husband then he often finds it hard to sustain a social life which is really sad but it's not just the elderly that experience loneliness and actually I was doing when I was doing a little bit of reading around today's episode I was reading a few statistics and there was a survey in 2018 done by Radio 4 and it said that 16 to 24 year olds experience loneliness more often and more intensely than any other age group and Eleanor Oliphant's a bit older than that but I think it does tap into the idea that we think that when you're young that should be the time you're out having fun and with your friends all the time Mm. and perhaps that expectation as we've discussed before it kind of compounds that feeling of loneliness if you do feel like you're not doing it all the time and yeah yeah i mean social media massively that's the thing i think i would love to know if that has always been the case or if that's increasing because i do think that i think social media can make you feel lonelier by comparison whereas you might in scenarios where you might be quite content with your life particularly around relationships and Mm. times when you would feel very content being single you can feel that very frustrated in the way that relationships are celebrated on social media Mm. in a way that being single isn't or is is almost seen as like a bit of a oh you won't really find happiness until you found the one which I guess you know this book does touch on this idea of you know pinning all your happiness and your thoughts of your future happiness on a relationship and also kind of romanticizing what that is which I think a lot of us are guilty of when we're single but as we know you know it's not it's not a black and white you don't suddenly hit this point of feeling perfectly happy once you've entered a relationship there's still you know moments of loneliness within relationships and particularly in people who are in bad relationships and that Mm. doesn't really get spoken about very much um in the same way or spoken about with much more of a taboo sort of feeling because we live in a society that prizes it still and i didn't really want to go into that theme in this episode because i know there'll probably be a an upcoming one where we'll talk about romance and breakups and things but I think it's interesting how it comes out in this book and in other books as well. We think that there's a certain type of success that if you achieve that it'll make you happy and yeah I mean often you you get to that point and then you're sort of like oh but I did everything why am I still not where I want to be. I follow a journalist and writer called Porna Bell on social oh, media. Yes. You know we've just been criticising social media. <laughs> you should of course say that it's also a way of learning and following people that, that give you oh, something positive and something learned. Has its, I mean, I will, yeah, I'm, I was massively oversimplifying it as well, particularly <laughs> when it comes to the community thing, because... I'm sure there are many, many people, particularly young teenagers who are going through experiences that 
in our day that we would never have found anyone else going through the same experience but nowadays mm. the community online is amazing uh, and actually i'll talk about a youtube channel as well in a minute but tell me about porn about as i said she's a journalist and writer and actually quite presciently she today was doing a few instagram stories about how to make new friends when Ooh, you are an yeah. adult which is really hard and the fact that she so she um kind of became an advocate for mental health after her husband committed suicide and she kind of wanted to raise awareness of mental health and its importance as a result of this and it kind of drove her into this kind of new career but you know she said as a result of him killing himself she kind of found herself in a position you know in her late 30s I think she hadn't expected to be in and it, she sort of expected to be married and children all of that and she wasn't but lots of her friends were married and having children and it wasn't that she was I mean I'm paraphrasing her so I'm hopefully kind of not misrepresenting her but basically she was expressing this idea that the people around her they were all very supportive but they were no longer in kind of the same experience that she was having they weren't in the same place in her life that she was having and so she basically just went out and found new friends it wasn't that she then ditched her old friend but it was important to find friends that had things in common with her that were in the same kind of space in their life as her Mm. so that she had that support network as well yeah that again you can actually have lots and lots of friends but sometimes again you can have that loneliness if you're like well I've got all these friends but I'm the only one who's not married or I'm the only one who is married or whatever it is I think you gravitate towards people who are in similar situations I mean from my personal experience so far touch wood I haven't found it too much of an issue making friends as an adult just because I often meet them through circumstances. For example, we met on a writing course. So it's these little moments where you kind of get involved in other activities and you meet lots of new interesting people. I have seen a couple of anecdotal experiences where someone's been married and for whatever reason their partner has either passed away or they've simply divorced or something's happened where you find yourself on your own. And then you look back and think, oh, I've lost all my friends from this previous experience. So I think it's something really good to remember at this point in life that I can still retain a lot of the strong friendships I have today just by making small efforts to kind of help keep that bridge there, even when our lives diverge in different directions. So that's a really interesting thing for her to be speaking about. Yeah. And just on the topic of social media, I didn't get Facebook till I don't know when you got it, but I got it, I think, sixth form. So 17, 18. I have so much sympathy for teenagers growing up now with TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all of it. Like, God, we're always so, like, grateful that social media hadn't really kicked off properly when we were teenagers. I was... My friend started my Facebook page because he'd created a page called bring back Woolworths pick and mix and he said Nicola I'm, I'm signing you up to Facebook so you can like my page that is a good and campaign. I think he was very pleased with the many likes that he got uh, I don't know if they ever brought them back I mean I, I worked at Woolworths and we had pick and mix when when I was there briefly but uh, anyway I digress Carry just on. that point really that I just think a because when you're a kid when you're a teenager you do stupid things that's just part of being a teenager so at least when we did stupid things for the most part they were kind of confined to people's memories they weren't immortalized online i mean at university there were things i did that were immortalized online that i am very regretful of but at least you know at least i was an adult (laughs) but yeah you know like teenagers they could do something now in school and all they need is someone Mm. else to be filming it and they become a meme or or whatever and yeah the bullying the like cyber bullying i'm not sure if it's still called that that feels like a really little like 90s term but you know online bullying must be awful and not even like getting to the point of bullying just the fact that 
teenagers they love having cliques and if you're not in a clique and you know everyone's talking about something online and you're not involved all of that pressure must be really tough so I really feel lucky to have escaped it mostly yeah it is one of those things where it it is a double-edged sword and I do also I think there are moments that I see now that teenagers are experiencing through the internet that I'm quite jealous of even in the sense Mm. of yeah say you do feel a certain way or you do something embarrassing and you feel this very private intense embarrassment and then you go online and you see a meme about it and thousands of people around the world are liking it and commenting and saying oh god I went through that today I think I'd feel a real sense Mm. of relief to see that to see memes Mm. about stuff that I was subconsciously going through alone at school to realize that there are lots of other people around the world lots of the teenagers around the world who are experiencing that too that said I mean yeah there are many many terrifying things about the internet that I do I am nervous about um for teenagers and I also feel very happy to not be a parent of a teenager at the moment because I imagine that's a whole other thing to navigate and and by yeah by the time we have kids and they get to teenagers who knows what will be in the world I know we might have gone backwards we might like we might have just ditched the whole concept and be back to looking things up in your library no no more google yeah I sound a bit like a crazy old boomer now like ah the internet's terrible I do love it (laughs) I mean stuff like this wouldn't be possible without it a blessing and a curse linking it back to the theme it could be a cause of loneliness as much as a a cause of loneliness as much as it can be a relief to loneliness as well so what's your second third book, book. oh no third, third book my last one um we're just racing through <laughs> so my third one is another donna tart and you can maybe Ooh. guess which one it's going to be it's the goldfin by process of elimination <laughs> <laughs> um i talked about the secret history in our last episode so this time i'm going to talk about the goldfinch this is possibly because when I went back through my Kindle library, these are kind of among the most recent books. So they're kind of the ones that have been in my head. But yeah, I think the, again, The Goldfinch is a story that maybe is not overtly about loneliness, um, but certainly it's a strong theme in the book. So The Goldfinch follows Theodore Decker, who is a boy, I think he's sort of maybe 12 or 13, when his mother dies in a terrorist bombing of an art museum and he's also caught in the in the bombing um, but because he's in another room he survives and this event triggers kind of a series of subsequent events that ultimately see him sent to a number of different homes so firstly to the home of his friends very wealthy parents then his father's home in this kind of strange new development building development in las vegas and then he goes and lives with an antique furniture restorer and it follows him through into adulthood and the whole time Theodore or Theo keeps hold of this painting that he grabbed during the bombing um, and it's the Goldfinch by Rembrandt and he keeps the fact that he's got the painting a secret and it's believed to have been destroyed in the bombing and then later people say it wasn't destroyed but it is missing and he kind of deals with this kind of guilt and fear of having this priceless artwork and not really knowing what to do about it the whole time so yeah I mean similarly to my experience of the secret history by Donata I had a bit of a love-hate relationship with the book in that there are parts where I was like why is nothing happening or why are you spending Mm -hmm. so much time talking about this really tiny detail but then you have these moments that are so beautiful and vivid and haunting that it's just ends up being a remarkable book and this book did win the Pulitzer Prize for fiction a lot of people have an issue take issue with the last section of the book which I won't say what happens but for me I didn't I thought it was fine it's a bit melodramatic maybe but 
I felt it was okay. Mm, I've um, that too. But yeah, I, in particular, the section of the book, so it feels roughly like it's in kind of three, I would say sort of three portions, which is the first portion being his mother's death and moving in with this very wealthy family. Then this middle section is when he goes in his, of his, um, his gambling, maybe, I guess, a bit of a loser, no hope of father in Las Vegas. And that's the bit that kind of really feels most evocative of this feeling of loneliness. And I think mm. it's a really great example of, is it called... I need to Google this as well to make sure I get use the right literary term. But is it pro- prophetic irony where the environment reflects your feelings? I feel like I have to get this right if we're making a books podcast. Oh. <laughs> so I Google yeah. prophetic irony. It's coming up with prophetic fallacy. Uh, yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with fallacy because that seems to be the overriding feeling on Google. Yeah. Generally, it tends to be weather, but the environment reflecting the experience of the character in the, the scenes in Las Vegas are painted as well it is a desert that's what Las Vegas is in a desert but the desert is this sparse blindingly white empty space where there's very little life and the the kind of housing estate where Theo lives with his father is only half finished and lots of people haven't moved in so there's just these empty houses with no one in them and all of it kind of expresses this idea that Theo's kind of left a caring family and he's sort of on his own and he's there's no love and affection there's just emptiness and it's really awful and it's really vivid and it's and it's haunting as i said but you really feel for theo and i think it really i felt very painfully attached to him yeah that part. you really feel that sense of how awful that must be to go and live in that sort of place yeah when after all he's been through and he ultimately makes friends with boris who is a student at his school who is from the Ukraine originally but travels around with his father a lot um, so he sort of picked up this accent from all over the place and it, yeah I had the same sort of feeling about Boris and that ultimately he's this really troubled young kid and they both go and do things they shouldn't be doing at their age like drinking a lot and doing drugs um, and it really shows the impact of not having a support system or an adequate support system and being left detached from a nurturing environment but it that portion of the book is just so well written and sort of seared into my memory the emotion of the experience and I think is a really good sort of written experience of loneliness um in every way so in a way that you you view the world in a way that you behave and act I'm not sure exactly what that would teach me in terms of my first aid kit. I suppose it might... It could be worse. Yeah. <laughs> Although, I mean, I suppose it kind of gives you a sense of, of what loneliness feels like. So maybe if, you know, you're supporting someone who's had that experience, it might be a useful thing to read. But I think it's just a really, it's just a really good, yeah, literary representation of, of being alone. And mm. I also read The Goldfinch. I'm similar to you in that... I look back on my Goodreads account because I log every single book I read and it's very helpful to go back and look and I did Spy the Goldfinch. I didn't think of it for this theme, but it is it is a really good, I think that's a really good part, the part where he's in Las Vegas to talk about loneliness. And kind of throughout the book, I guess, he has these moments of real loneliness. Yeah, mm. he, I mean, she writes it so well that you really feel connected to his emotions. I think what I find quite interesting about that section as well is the, the way a friendship can be quite destructive, but also quite building so when he when he meets Mm. Boris and they become good friends he gets a lot of value from that friendship and he really finds a common person and and in this very sort of alienating place and this place where is so different to his sort of more affluent life in New York and the more artistic life he really 
cannot connect with his the way his dad views the world and the way his dad's wife views the world. I, I can't remember if she's the wife or girlfriend. A girlfriend. Um, yeah. And Boris becomes his um, Boris becomes his kindred spirit, but at the same time is a very destructive um, influence on him. And am I right in remembering there's like an older brother that Boris has got a brother or something? No, but some sort of he's got his dad is abusive. Okay, yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. But it's a and obviously yeah, Boris getting him into this world of drugs and and ultimately not being a very good friend in some ways which i won't say for spoiling the book mm. but uh it, it so it it's almost bittersweet when they meet and become friends because on the one hand you're really frustrated and you want theo to get away from him but also you really want him to have this this kind of almost brotherly friendship mm. with this guy so maybe that would say a lot about loneliness and, and who we turn to and why yeah. we turn to the people we turn to and and how that can go well or not so well and and he's so young and it's it's just really i mean that it's almost like a bildungsroman in the way he sort of grows up as the book progresses but mm. you really your heart sort of aches for being that young and feeling lonely and and being in a place where you feel so alien it's mm. it's very intriguing and the other thing which the book does is represent secrets as being really lonely so he has mm, yeah. priceless painting in his possession and he doesn't take it because he's stealing he he takes it because um there's a man there's a man dying after the explosion in in the museum and the man points towards the painting and says take it take it and theo does that he grabs the painting and and runs away from i think as well it's it's his mother's favorite painting isn't it she taught she kind of introduced so it's almost like he's clinging on to his exactly. mother's memory with it so he doesn't take it because he wants to steal it or, or make money from it he just takes it because of a series of circumstances and the bewildering moment of being in this in this bomb but anyway once he has it he then doesn't know what to do about it because he thinks as you would as a child you think well if i tell someone i'll be in so much trouble and then the longer he has it any older he gets it becomes goes from a moment of being well i won't just be in trouble i'm gonna go to jail so he has this huge burden of a secret that rests on him and he can't tell a soul but he's also so comforted yeah. by it he really loves it yeah but i think it it comes torturous to him like he he because he stores it doesn't he in um like a in a kind of storage place you know one of those garages that you get and he goes and checks on it and mm. then he panics if he thinks it might not be there and so it is a comfort and he he takes out and he looks at it a lot but i think it also feels like this like a time bomb or that he's fearful of it being uncovered and I think that feels very real. I've never stolen a painting, but I have <laughs> secrets. I'm sure we've all had secrets, some bigger than others. And if it's something that you don't want found out, yeah, to kind of have something that no one else... I mean, not all secrets you want to tell, but there are some secrets, I guess, that you, you wish you could tell someone. And if you can't ever find the right moment or you never feel safe to do so it must it must feel terribly lonely mm, and particularly i mean it's so wrapped up with shame in for him mm. and uh, you know even the fact that you're saying it's so priceless and, it, and its value is probably going up the longer it's missing mm. i mean it does it, i feel like i'm so fascinated on the topic of art and how how you price and value art um but it yeah it, it's a really interesting way of looking at it as this secret that he's lonely because he has something that he cannot share with anyone and how he yeah he, mm. he he does get a kind of secret thrill from that but it's also a real burden that yeah like loneliness doesn't even have to be something that is is impacted by the sort of external world it can be something created by your own internal mental fears or 
paranoias. I feel like this this kind of segues into my next book quite well. Well, that is very handy. Um, which is The Miniaturist by Jessie Burton. It's another debut novel, um, Jessie Burton's debut. She It was published in 2014. Can I just oh, interrupt yeah. you? I'm really sorry, but do you know I have that cat that comes in through the seat <laughs> yeah. the roof light? I can hear it downstairs and I might go Yeah, do you <laughs> Shall I just chat I'll away like while, while you're gone, <laughs> I'm going to eat my mango. Mm. Mm. Oh, I'm back. He didn't want to go out because it was raining. So I'm going to let him just hang around in the house until it stops. Sure. And then I'm going to kick him out. Oh, you sent me a picture. <laughs> oh, oh, cute. I was just chatting to myself about my mango so you can have fun with that on the recording. Um, <laughs> I interrupted you mid-flow about the miniaturist. Oh, no, that's cool, because I know where, where it picked up, so I'll um, I'll get back in the zone. Uh, Jesse Burton's debut it was published in 2014, and it was, I think it was the Waterstones book of the year. That's why I picked it up. So it's set in Amsterdam in the 17th century. Our protagonist is a young woman named Nell. Um, she marries and goes off to live with a wealthy merchant named Johannes Brandt. Um, so not not dissimilar to um, Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier which we were talking about last Mm. week that thing of being a young woman and going to live with of a certain time period and going to live with a wealthy older man and the loneliness that comes with that because she is you know very much a fish out of water she's terrified of everything Um, she's so inexperienced and young and Johannes's sister and the staff Mm. are quite unkind to her she feels desperately lonely and and she also craves more affection from her husband as he's treating her as more of a friend and the plot unfolds and the title as well becomes more explanatory uh, when she receives a doll's house from Johannes as a wedding gift and she commissions furniture from a miniaturist who seems to spookily predict what's going to happen Mm. within the furniture so that's how it kind of links I think to the goldfinch because I think she has that feeling of secrecy around what the miniaturist is, is giving her the reason it is in my first aid kit is I think it's actually a really good example of a character growing and learning and and becoming more courageous as the book goes on she starts off very meek she becomes a real leader by the end particularly when faced with obstacles in her family life and her married life um and uh and i also think it's quite a good message about how if you explore closely why certain people in your life are hostile you may actually learn some surprising secrets about them their own fears and insecurities Mm. And you can actually form real friendships um, once you kind of got past that barrier. Obviously, not always the case, but it's a nice way of seeing, you know, if you're feeling lonely because you feel that the people around you are acting a certain way towards you, you can actually change that. I think, you know, we lots of us have friends that started off as more like enemies or mm. more just, you know, this sense of, oh, I don't think I'm going to like this person. Frenemies. Yeah. But even just the way quite often the people you like the most, when you met them, you actually didn't really like them at all. And then you got to know them and you realised that actually you've had so much in common. And it happens a lot with relationships as well, I know. So, yeah, I think it's just, I know it has actually been, I think, criticised a bit for seeming a bit too unrealistic in the way the protagonist grows and becomes a very sort of strong woman by the end but I actually found it very natural and I found it very she was just a very responsive Mm. to what was happening in her life and and it was quite nice to read that and not just a case of a woman's being you know moved around by 
various things happening in her life and various men and various more powerful people. Um, Have you read it? I haven't read it, no. It is beautifully written. It's absolutely... And actually, Jessie Burton, she's... I've seen her, I think, twice in author talks um, and private. I've actually met her and told her how much I liked the books. That was a nice fangirl moment for me. Um, But she's also very, very open about her experiences as an author. And she shared the cover letter she gave to her agent with the book and then uh, and it was Juliet Mushens and Juliet then wrote how she as an agent received that letter and what she thought of it and they go through it paragraph by paragraph I think it's on Jesse Burton's website That's so interesting. and it is so useful to see as an author I mean obviously it goes to show as well how agents often have very specific tastes about what they want but it's so fascinating to see how she pitched that book and how that agent received it and, and how it went further than that but yeah, I think it's a, a, a nice book about growing past loneliness, I suppose. Having not read it, it reminds me a little mm. bit, I don't know if you've seen the piano film? Oh, I haven't, no. I'd like to Really know. good film. Is that with Adrian Brody? No, that's the pianist. And that's about a oh, Jewish right. man, I think, evading the Nazis whilst playing the piano. That sounds very reductionist. Oh, so this is a completely <laughs> Yeah, no, The Piano, piano is um, a film written and directed by Jane Campion. Oh. Okay. It won lots of awards at the time. And it's, um, yeah, it's 1993. And it is about a woman who is sent a scottish woman and she gets sent to new zealand to marry a man she's never met who's a, a frontiersman you know has traveled to the new world or i should say it's set in the 19th century um which makes a bit more sense why she's sent somewhere she doesn't just marry him so 19th century this woman gets sent to marry this man with her daughter because she's she's been widowed and it's kind of a marriage of convenience she's never met him he's a lonely man wants a wife she needs someone to provide for her and her daughter but when she arrives she arrives with a piano and she's incredibly shy. I don't know if that's the appropriate term, but she is mute. Mm. And her daughter sort of interprets mm. for her. But anyway, she, while she's she's very lonely and this man isn't particularly nice to her. He's not unnice. That's not a word. <laughs> <laughs> unkind. He's not unkind. But he just isn't affectionate. We've been speaking too many words. <laughs> but he's not affectionate. But she kind of befriends this other guy who lives in the area I'm not sure exactly what he's doing there but he's another white man yeah, another she, white man another white man in New Zealand um another kind of <laughs> frontiersman and so yeah she kind of finds comfort in this other guy but anyway the, the similarity in that I guess is that, that I think might be there is that yeah it's kind of a woman going into a into a relationship that isn't very loving it sounds like it it kind of goes differently in a miniaturist Mm. but that's the only reason it reminded me uh yeah i mean i won't won't spoil the miniaturist um it does go in quite a different direction but i think you know it it is that similar thing of that being a, a point in time where women were just you know shipped off to places to be the wives now that must have been i mean it does still happen in certain countries but it must have been a very alienating experience and I know this is a similar sort of protagonist to Rebecca, I think, where not not Rebecca, the woman, for as we know, the Rebecca is not actually about the woman called Rebecca, but the protagonist in Rebecca, um, where she yeah. is also um, starts off very un- uncertain and very young and very kind of unsure about how to how to make this her mm. life. And she and she gradually figures that out over the, the course of the book. So, um yeah, I mean, would it be that useful in terms of in a first aid kit? Because presumably my situation's not going to be that if I'm feeling lonely. 
I'm not again I'm not sure how much these have become mm. instructional but it's definitely a nice way yeah. of looking at it's kind of those light at the end of the tunnel kind of stories exactly it might rem- it might help you feel as if there might be something that can come out of the experience yeah and I do think that's true again not to kind of trivialize loneliness because you know loneliness is it's really it's physically unhealthy to be lonely there are there are scientific studies that explore the impact does cause a deterioration in health so not to trivialize it but if you do experience loneliness and are able to come out the other side and make your way out of that whether that's through friendship or a relationship or maybe just finding something else i think if you yeah if you're able to come through it it can be a, a way of going and when i look at the times that i was lonely I wished I hadn't been lonely because it wasn't a nice feeling, but I think it's taught me some resilience so that in future times when I have felt periods of loneliness, I've been able to tell myself that mm. can come through the other side and it probably won't last forever. So yeah, I, th- I think that book and the reason you have it in your first aid kit really makes sense, which is that yes, it might not alleviate the loneliness at the time, mm. but it can help you stay, if not positive, then at least hopeful that it's something that you'll look back on as I guess something that helped you grow as a person yeah and as you know your favorite non your your non-favorite cheesy saying you're never really alone when you've got a book (laughs) I wonder if that is there's an element of that oh I love that um, an element of that in the miniaturist in that you know you can't necessarily completely overcome loneliness with hobbies but finding something that you that brings you joy when you're alone can help in some ways oh i don't know if joy is oh. the right word for what is going oh, on um, <laughs> it's kind of and i will actually say one of my one of the things i didn't like so much about the book is the actual the miniaturist storyline doesn't really have that much of a payoff it you it doesn't i feel like she could have gone a lot further with this idea because it's almost this like supernatural element of a very realistic story um and i think she could have gone further with that uh, because the story around it is so interesting and so compelling and then the the weird experience of the doll's house and the miniature items coming becomes I don't know it's a little bit it doesn't feel as satisfying as you want it to be at the end but I mean that that's just my opinion that could be completely different for everybody but yeah have a hobby <laughs> have a hobby that doesn't freak you out <laughs> As we love an adaptation on this podcast, oh, yes. I feel like this is one that's going to be adapted. Has oh, it, it has been, yeah. It was in, oh, I think okay. it was a BBC drama. I know Anya Taylor-Joy played the main young woman who's an actor that I really like. She's popping up increasingly mm. in things. She was in a very scary horror film called The Witch, which I haven't actually seen, but it's meant to be absolutely terrifying. But yeah. um, but yes, it was adapted, I think, a couple of years ago. So quite recently. I'm not sure if it was considered to be that great an adaptation, but partly I think it's because the, the charm of the book for me was in the writing and she writes in this most beautiful way. And so you do lose that slightly. It does become a little bit more of a conventional story when you when you haven't got that. And also they had to, you know, reduce so many story elements and cut it down. And, and I know that Jesse Burton's written a few more or maybe just one more since then. And I, I look forward to getting around, getting them on my reading list. I was going to say, the downside of doing this podcast is that my reading list gets longer and longer. I mean, <laughs> it's true. I find often we're quite similar minded and we pick quite similar books. But this time we've gone quite different directions which I like pretty different yeah yeah and again I mean it's it's a theme that when you start to dig into it you can see so many ways of reading into it and you start to see those themes of loneliness and explored in 
so many different ways. So I think we can probably wrap it up for today on this topic. So <laughs> it's a, yeah, a serious topic, but an important one. I think there's some real food for thought on what we can read and what we can turn back to when we feel that loneliness. We'd love to know what books you would recommend to anyone who's feeling lonely and whether they match up with ours or whether you've got some suggestions for any books we haven't mentioned. Follow us on at First Aid Lit on Twitter and Instagram. And if you've enjoyed listening to us chat all about books, do recommend us to friends and family. We'll be back next week with a new episode and we'll look forward to seeing you then. Yes, hooray. See you then.